Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone. I wanted to give you a quick note before I started this podcast. Both of these episodes with Marnie Breaker and myself got such a strong response that Marnie and I both decided to start a new podcast called Helping Couples Heal, specifically about betrayal and relational trauma. So after listening to these two episodes, if you want more information about this topic, check us out. You can go to helpingcouplesheal.com or you can just do a podcast search in your podcast app and search for helping couples heal and get more information about betrayal and relational trauma. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. This is episode 21. And today my guest is Marnie Breaker. I am so excited that she is going to come on the show and she's going to talk about relational and partner trauma. This is a a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. Working in the sex addiction field, I see a lot of betrayed partners and the trauma that is caused by this intimate betrayal is so intense and so, I guess the best word to describe it is traumatic and painful. And you know what's awesome is that I met Marnie, I think about in 2009, we were doing our training together for as certified sex addiction therapist. And she was always a real advocate for the trauma model when it came to partners. And I have learned so much from her through the years. And so I'm so excited that she's going to be on the show today and, and talk about this issue. And as we were discussing this episode, we decided to break it into two parts. The first part is just talking about 
what this betrayal and relational trauma is and what it looks like. And then in the second part, we're going to discuss more about how does a partner heal from these issues. It was such a big, big topic that we decided to break it into two and do two podcasts on it. So I hope you guys enjoy it and I hope that it's it's helpful for a lot of people out there. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 21 of the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Marnie Breaker, and she is going to talk about a very important topic. It's going to be relational and betrayal trauma with a emphasis on the partner who's been betrayed. Marnie, welcome so much to the Addicted Mind podcast. I'm glad that that you're here. You want to introduce yourself? Thank you, Dwayne. I'm so happy to be here. Sure. Um, So again, my name is Marnie Breaker. I'm a certified sex addiction therapist. I'm also a certified clinical partner specialist. I'm a marriage and family therapist, and I own a business in Los Angeles called the Center for Relational Healing, where we focus on and specialize in treating sex addicts and partners of sex addicts, and specifically the impact, the traumatic impact of sex addiction and infidelity on relationships. Yeah. And this has been a topic that for both you and I, we've known each other. How long have we known each other now? Quite a while. We um, met, I think in 2009 when we yeah. did, or, or 2010 when we did our CSAT training. That's right. And this was at, back then you were such an advocate for this issue because it wasn't being dealt with a lot. It was kind of, they were looking at this issue kind of through a new lens. Mm-hmm. Do you want to maybe talk a little bit about that and how this kind of, this topic got onto your radar? Sure, absolutely. I was lucky enough when I was an intern in 2008 to get hired at SRI, the Sexual Recovery Institute in LA. And I was hired to fill a role working specifically with partners and to facilitate a weekly partner support group and to be the person who worked with the partners in the disclosure, the pre-disclosure and post-disclosure phase. I also worked with addicts at that time in our IOPs and doing individual therapy. And I was lucky because my supervisor at that time was Dr. Omar Minwala, who was definitely one of the pioneers of this um, sort of trauma model and taking, taking the focus away from the codependency model when it came to treating partners and really looking at the traumatic impact of the discovery of addiction on a relationship and on a partner who's been betrayed. So for me, I never was exposed to the codependency model. I came right in and immediately started working with clients with Omar as my supervisor from this lens of trauma and it fit for me. And as I met other clinicians in the field who were working from a different model, much more of that sort of historic more of the 12-step model where the partner gets pathologized and has her own addiction, not not addiction, but her own disease um, or her own illness. And you have to focus on your side of the street and all of that. That was very confusing to me because it's not how I was treating the partners that I was working with. And that didn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense to pathologize people that walked into the door having been really traumatized and for them to be handed a label of codependent or you know, borderline personality disorder or neurotic or whatever other labels were being used at that time. Right. When especially they were experiencing this profound trauma, I think that wasn't really seen in the beginning. And it was starting to be seen like by people who were coming new in the field and looking at this from a completely different lens. Right. 
Right, absolutely. And, you know, to their credit, a lot of people who did approach the treatment, partner treatment from that old way, began to conceptualize it and be and be able to recognize, wow, I think that that <laughs> I think we've been looking at this the wrong way and sort of change that way that they conceptualize these cases. So let's talk a little bit about what the it is. When we look at relational and betrayal trauma, what does that for a person who has never heard this before, what does that actually mean and, and what are you talking about? That's a great question. Um, and I will try to make it simplify it because it really is such a big question, but really it refers to the traumatic impact of the discovery of infidelity or betrayal on a partner. So typically this is, when we talk about betrayal trauma, we're talking about it in the context of a very intimate relationship where there is an expectation of safety in that relationship. And so a marital relationship, a relationship between two people, um, committed monogamous, loving, romantic relationship there is usually that expectation that somebody is going to keep them safe and someone's going to be honest and truthful. And so when there's a violation of that expectation, that can result in betrayal trauma. And it impacts a partner on so many different levels. Um, we can go into one of them or all of them, but the ones right. that I've, I focus on, do you want me to talk about that a little bit? The ones yeah, that I... Yeah, I mean, let's, uh, let's kind of look at... So just to kind of kind of sum up what you were saying. So the, the person, they have this expectation in the relationship and that's violated in some way. Mm-hmm. And it really kind of impacts them in almost a completely traumatic way. Yeah, and it's, it's more than just being betrayed by this one person. That's where the trauma comes in, in the sense that when somebody feels betrayed or is betrayed by the person they trust the most and who they consider to be the one person that's going to keep them safe and going to protect them, and they find out that that person has not only not protected them, but has potentially caused harm to them, put them in unsafe situations, jeopardize their health, et cetera, et cetera. There is not only now a lack of trust in that person, but often a lack of trust in themselves because right. they think, I chose this person. How did I not know? And how can I trust anybody? And so that initial discovery which is devastating and is based on their relationship with that one person does become a much greater trauma because as I said, they start questioning everything and their whole world feels confusing and upside down. Okay. So let's, and we talked about this before we started recording. We talked about doing this in a, in a two part, two part episode, because you were talking, as we were talking about this, we were talking about how big this issue actually is and, Mm -hmm. and how important it is. And so in this first part, we kind of decided to talk about kind of the consequences of this and what it looks like. And then maybe in part two, talk about how how does someone heal from it? Yeah, I think that's definitely the best way to do it. Otherwise, I don't think we're going to be able to focus just given our time constraints. I don't think we'll be able to talk about as much as as I'd like to. And, And I think that talking about the healing process is equally as important as just saying, what is this? Right. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And and working in this field too, you can, once you really start to understand this from a trauma perspective, you realize how big it is and how hard it is to to overcome. So let's kind of, let's talk a little bit about, okay, how did, what does this look like for a partner when this happens? So often it can look in terms of symptoms, it could look like depression. Somebody comes in and they are experiencing a lot of the signs of post-traumatic stress disorder. 
So um, for anyone who's not familiar with those, with those symptoms, it could be tremendous impact on their sleep, on their appetite. I've had partners um, have a lot of physical symptoms and psychosomatic symptoms. or not psychosomatic, I apologize. Somatic symptoms, uh, headaches, throwing up, dizziness, weight loss, um, weight gain, and efforts to avoid, to avoid places that might remind them of the acting out a lot of difficulty maintaining their personal relationships. They have difficulty at work. They have difficulty with concentration, with memory. A lot of times they are huge. The anger is off, it's just off the rails and with good reason, obviously, and shock, just pure shock. And then also a real questioning of everything that they thought was true. You know, there's, this, is, right. this is a shattering of one's reality. For somebody who really had no idea that this was going on, they suddenly in one day start questioning everything that they thought to be true. And as they look through pictures, as they read through old cards or emails, they start seeing everything through the lens of this betrayal. And it's, it really is disorienting and it makes somebody start to question everything. Right. And I, I've really seen that as well. These partners come in and they thought they had this life and then their partner, maybe the addict, has this whole second life or secret life. Mm-hmm. And it is, I mean, it's devastating. It's devastating for them, not just the betrayal, but yeah, that whole like, um, almost call it like a like the, the mirror of how they see life has just been shattered. Absolutely. And, and they're trying to put all the pieces back together. Right. And one of the reasons why partners were originally sort of pathologized through this lens of codependency is because what we do see often in these early stages after the initial discovery is partners are desperately trying to get information. So they're looking at emails and they're looking, they want to see their husband or their, their partner's phone. They're looking through receipts or credit card statements. They are, they're looked at sort of as little, little detectives. And again, they were originally thought of, well, that's codependent. You're getting into your husband's business, stay on your own side of the street. But really the reality is they're safety seeking. They're desperately trying to find out the truth because usually when there's an initial discovery, the addict or the person who has been lying gives very little information. If they get caught with one specific thing, they might say, okay, yes, this was it, but this is everything. And the reality is, for those of us who work in this field, we know that generally that is not the case, that it goes much deeper and a partner starts to discover more things. And each time they discover more, they're more traumatized and they begin to feel like they'll never be able to believe that their partner is telling them the truth. And so they go on this desperate mission to try to find information so that they're no longer living in a state of danger. And they're really trying to get safety in an unsafe situation. Yeah. And that's, I have seen that so much and it's so hard because they don't trust, they can't trust their own senses anymore in a way. Right. Exactly. Because it's like what they thought was real is no longer real. And it just, this is where, you know, when you said PTSD, PTSD earlier, I mean, all that hypervigilance, mm-hmm. uh, the anxiety, the rumination, and all of this just kind of really takes over. Absolutely. And, and you know, one of the, the real, really painful aspects of this for a lot of partners is that they feel like the, the impact on them is so huge and so traumatic. So I actually treat partner trauma from the lens of two different Aspects. The first, of course, is just the trauma of the discovery of the addiction or the betrayal. But the second is the trauma that partners 
report about the their own behaviors and their own response to learning about the addiction and betrayal. So a real example here, and I've heard this from so, so many partners that I've worked with over the last, let's say, 10 years, is that they feel like they really took such pride in being a good parent, a good mother. And suddenly when this happens, they're depressed, they're anxious, they're, they're locked behind a door on the computer trying to get information, or they're desperately trying to find a therapist for themselves or for their husband. There's so much going on that it suddenly takes them away from their life and they feel like they're no longer present for their children in the same way. And even if they are there with their kids, they're suffering from so much anxiety and pain and trauma that they're not really there and interacting and being available as the parent the way they were before. For some, for some women, they become isolative. Their business suffers. They, some people start smoking or drinking or isolating, whatever it is. And those behaviors for someone who didn't do that before in themselves becomes a trauma, a separate trauma. It's sort of, I call that the secondary trauma. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I've definitely seen that. And it's such a good way to frame it because it's, yeah, they have this initial trauma of discovery. Well, you know, before I go a little bit further, can you talk about that? How does that usually happen for partners? So typically, I will tell you in my experience personally, it's very rare for an addict to come forward on their own. I have had one, <laughs> literally since 2008, I've had one one man come forward while married without getting caught who himself came forward and identified as an addict and asked for her for help. Other than him, the only addicts that have come forward on their own to ask for help were men that were not in relationships, which is also not that common. So typically when somebody um, gets discovered, it's because of a the history on their computer or an email that the partner finds or a receipt or sometimes um, an acting out partner is also lied to and they call the wife and disclose to them, uh, things like that. Yeah, and then that kind of shatter right there, that's the shattering of the world. Right. For the right. partner. And exactly. Like, wait, wait, what are you talking about? And, and I've had that happen too, where all of a sudden they've gotten a call from a, yeah, an acting out partner. They don't know who it is and they go, by the way, I, I've been with your husband. I'm, it's, oh man, it's devastating. Devastating. And truly, I mean, you know, through this, through this process of my own learning, what I've, I can't tell you how many partners have actually reported that they feel as though they have been raped. And some people, when they first hear that, especially addicts, they, their original, if not original, their initial reaction is that's a huge leap or that's a huge over-exaggeration or thinking that that's really out of context and a bit over the top. And the reality is, when you think about it, it's not. Because what they say is that they never would have entered into a relationship if they had known what was going on. So it's not consensual. Their consent was never, was never taken into consideration. And so they feel like they are, um, they've been betrayed and manipulated and violated by the person that was, as I said earlier, was supposed to keep them safe. And they say it's worse because their rapist is their husband or the person that, that they thought they were closest to. Yeah. And then once again, going back to that leads back to that secondary trauma from their own choices. And then all of the obsession of trying to put the reality back together so that they can feel somewhat safe. Right. Creating safety is typically the first thing that I try to do. And I know we're going to talk more about how do we heal in our, our second part. But yeah, the, the, the safety, the creating safety is, the, is definitely the first 
the first order of business when a partner comes to see me, for sure. Okay. So what is a list of, I guess I'm kind of looking for, like if someone is betrayed to kind of normalize some of these for, you know, anybody who's listening, kind of normalize some of these reactions they're having. We have like obsession, mm-hmm. right? What are some of the other ones that we, that you, we probably most likely see in a partner? You have obsession, depression. Anger. Anger. The rumination, I think, is really big in the hypervigilance. Right. And when you, what's hypervigilance? The hypervigilance would be sort of like what we were talking about earlier, that safety seeking, which can look as though somebody is, is really being codependent and looking at bills and looking at phone bills and credit card receipts and asking tons of questions. And it's when they are essentially, you know, that it's sort of like your antennas are up. You know, you don't feel safe anywhere. You're constantly on guard and looking out for the next sign of danger. Right. And they're, so they're looking for, for everything. And also the intrusive thoughts too. I mean, I, I see that a lot as well. Like it's, it's always intruding into their life. Even when they don't want those thoughts to come in, they somehow seem to like appear at, they get a reminder and they see a TV show, they see an ad, they see a billboard, uh, a, billboard a restaurant, and these thoughts come flooding back to them. And it's almost like these intrusive fl- thoughts just do not, don't leave them alone. No, and it's really, that's one of the barriers to relational healing as well, because oftentimes when couples are actually doing the work and they are healing and moving forward, triggers are still there. So just because somebody's healing from the trauma doesn't mean suddenly that there's no triggers. We live in, as you were just saying, we live in a culture that's very over-sexualized and we see images all the time. And you know, the, the topic of infidelity is one that's getting a ton of attention in the media and in TV and film. So it's very difficult to avoid that. So for a couple that are recovering and doing quote unquote well, it's very easy all of a sudden for there to be a rupture. A couple goes to a movie together for date night and they go to see some movie where there's a big scene with infidelity and that could be very triggering. And this is where for the addict or the person who's done the betraying, there has to be a lot of education for them and an understanding that this dynamic can happen and they need to, to learn and be coached on how they can deal with that when it occurs so that they can actually be supportive and empathic towards their partner and not exacerbate things. I say that there's always an opportunity for rupture or repair with couples. Right, right. And, and that's a perfect example when there could be a rupture or when there could be repair. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I totally, I see all this stuff and, and I'm working in the same field as you. And it's so heartbreaking to, to see partners out there and a lot of times not getting a lot of the support that they need. And to just, what I would hope for them is as they listen, if, if someone who is a partner is listening to this podcast, is that they are gentle with themselves as they see some of these behaviors that they're doing, because it, it's, so, it's so devastating for them. But to say, hey, look, there is hope out there. You know? I think there is hope. The, the reality is that I know, as I'm sure you do, many people that have gone through this and, and are thriving in their lives today. Some of them are, are not with, their, with the person who betrayed them and many, many are. But also I like to speak to the reality that it's a, it's a hard journey. It's a lot of work. It takes a lot of commitment and there's bumps in the road. I've never seen it be an easy journey, unfortunately. 
Yeah, no, me too. It, it is a tough, it is a tough journey. So in our next part, we're going to, we're going to talk about all the steps that a partner can take to get better. And, and we're going to go into more detail about that in part two. But in ending this part, someone listening, what would you want to tell them? What would you want to say to them? A to the addict, out, to, to a partner. To a partner out there who may I be would, listening. Well, I'd want to validate the experience that, that they're having. What I was going to say earlier is that I look at five different dimensions of partner trauma when I'm, when I'm seeing somebody in my office that's been betrayed. And there's emotional trauma, uh, sexual trauma, existential trauma. There's the, the life crisis trauma, which is really kind of the discovery and how it upsets the whole family system. Suddenly there's childcare issues, lots of financial issues, treatment issues. So that's kind of that life crisis piece. And then the relational trauma, which is just that the whole relationship getting blown up. And so what I would want to say to any partners listening is that chances are whatever you're experiencing is completely normal. Your world's been turned upside down and it's hard to make sense of things. And I think probably the most important thing I'd want to say is that this is a snapshot in your life. It will not always be this way. There are so many resources out there um, and people who are specifically working with others that are going through what you're going through. And I personally, this is what I do for a living. And I know, Dwayne, you've got a wonderful, wonderful clinic in Long Beach doing the same thing. And you know, that's why we're here. We're here to be of support and service and help. And there's a lot of hope. Exactly. I'd like them to know the same thing. Well, Marnie, thank you so much for coming on this part. And um, if people are listening to this episode and they want to get more information about you, how can they do that? Um, the website is lacrh.com and our phone number is 323-860-9999. Awesome. And I'm going to put all of your information in the show notes. It's going to be at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 21. You guys can go there and get all of our information as well. And Marnie, I just want to thank you so much for doing the work that you're doing and coming on The Addicted Mind. I, I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to part two. Me too. Thank you so much for having me, Dwayne. I'm looking forward to it as well. Awesome. Have a great day. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of The Addicted Mind podcast. Once again, the show notes are at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 21. Once again, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us in iTunes. It really does help. Also, if you'd like to leave us some feedback, you can go to theaddictedmind.com and right on the side there is an ability to leave me a voice message. Please give me any feedback you have. I want to thank everybody who has done so, so far. It really does help me make the Addicted Mind podcast better and get the information that you guys want to hear out there. So thanks to all who have done that. So have a wonderful day and I will talk to you next week. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. 
We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.